Jesus tells a parable that is familiar to many believers as well as unbelievers. It's about a good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And in the story, two different Jewish religious leaders ignore and walk by one of their own countrymen who had been robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Both religious men rationalized their reasons for not stopping. But the parable tells of the Samaritan who sees the man who was in a state of misery and cares for him. The good Samaritan did not ask, what will happen to me if I stop to help him? Rather, he asked, what will happen to that man if I don't do anything for him? It was so profound because in Jesus' day, Samaritans and Jews despised one another. They were both ethnic and religious enemies. It is also profound because the Jewish man would have surely died without a measure of intervention on his behalf. The parable's purpose is to answer what loving one's neighbor looks like, and Jesus reveals that it is rooted in showing acts of mercy. The word for mercy in Greek is elios. It's closely connected to the word for olive oil. In New Testament times, olive oil was used to treat wounds. It was a balm of healing. It was for soothing and healing and comforting. It is what a merciful God provides to you and me. He brings us up out of the horrible pit, out from the miry clay, and he sets our feet upon the rock, making us whole again. It is from within our state of misery, whereby Psalm chapter 103 says that the Lord takes pity upon us, that he shows us mercy. Oh, how this proves to be true. For when Jesus Christ saw us in our miserable estate, he was more concerned about what would happen to us than what would become of him. So Christ picked up the cross that our sins deserved and took it upon himself. He turned our graves into gardens. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. In Titus 3, in verses 4 through 6, Paul says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. What a wonderful, merciful Savior is he. In light of Christ's mercy toward us, we are called to extend mercy to others. 
In the parable of the unforgiving servant found in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus rhetorically asked at verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? It is clear a principle of participation for all believers exists here. In Luke 6, verse 36, Jesus tells his disciples to be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is also merciful. Only some people will naturally be more good Samaritanish than others, because mercy, you see, is a spiritual gift. The Apostle Paul speaks of it at the end of Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. If your gift is to show mercy, he says, do it cheerfully. And it seems fitting that mercy is the last of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12 because we find its olive oil sprinkled all over the verses that follow. At verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. And do not get me wrong. Paul's admonition here amid these verses provides a biblical ethic for every single Christian to follow. The entire text is a principle of participation, if you will. But disciples with the gift of mercy naturally and cheerfully live out two key tenets in this passage. They show compassion to other believers within the church and they show compassion to non-believers outside the church. I thus refer to Christians who have this spiritual gift of mercy as being the arms 
of the church. I like the analogy of arms since these are individuals who are prone to hold hurting and doubting Christians near to them. Since these are individuals who are not prone to hold the sins of others against them. Now they are prone to think in the mindset, but for the grace of God, there go I. Do you have the spiritual gift of mercy? Showing compassion to believers within the church and to non-believers outside the church takes on a big-hearted presence. It takes on a hospitable presence. And it takes on a peaceful, prayerful presence. One, a big-hearted presence. In the film of Tolkien's The Hobbit, the wizard Gandalf tells Bilbo Baggins, Saruman believes that it is only great power that can hold evil in check. That is not what I have found. I have found that it is the small things, everyday deeds from ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. The famous artist Vincent Van Gogh began his life wanting to teach the Bible to people who were given little to no advantage in life. After getting some training in the Bible and theology, he took on a missionary post in a remote and destitute coal mining town of Belgium. There he chose to live among the squalid conditions of the miners. He would visit the sick. He would bring spiritual consolation to them in whatever ways he could through simple acts of kindness and love. He was fierce in his zeal. He was fierce in his affection for the people there. But the Catholic sending agency soon dismissed him from his post. Their reason? They said that his conduct undermined the dignity of the priesthood. It seems as if the religious mindset surrounding him at that time was more in line with that of Saruman than it was that of Jesus. After this experience, Van Gogh became an artist. His paintings often reflecting a love for common people, for the poor, for the suffering. Those with the gift of mercy mirror the mission and the painting strokes of Van Gogh. They are big-hearted ones who, as children, bring home that stray dog. They are the big-hearted ones who befriend the lonely kid that no one else notices. They are the big-hearted ones who naturally gravitate towards making hospital visits, who naturally want to check in on shut-ins, who oversee ministries for the needy. They are the big-hearted ones who want to reach out to the widow, who want to bring in the orphan, and who want to write to those who are in prison. They are the big-hearted ones who never see themselves being above anyone else, but who Paul says at verse 10 are kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. 
They are the big-hearted ones who build bridges of love to those who are easily overlooked, to those who are easily forgotten. They are the big-hearted ones who make themselves cheerfully available to the hurting and to those who weep and grieve. They are incredibly sensitive to the emotional status of others. And they can discern if a person is happy or if a person is sad, if a person is confident or a person is afraid. Mercy weeps with those who weep. It is the gift of presence. You see, sympathy says, I'm sorry that you're hurting. Empathy says, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've been there too. Oh, but compassion says, I'm sorry you're hurting, and I'm going to stay right here with you through it. Is mercy your spiritual gift? You don't need anyone's permission, nor does anyone need to know if you choose to befriend someone who is lonely. If you make hospital visits, if you minister to shut-ins, if you volunteer at a food pantry, if you write letters to inmates, or you just hold someone who's grieving, no one's got to grant you permission to use your spiritual gift of mercy. Just be merciful. Two, a hospitable presence. In Romans 12, verse 13, Paul says, distribute to the needs of the saints. Be given to hospitality. I see this as carrying two connotations. First, hospitality involves making oneself available to others in the church. It is giving when able to give. It is sharing when able to share. Some people, those who possess the spiritual gift of mercy, are much more agreeable to this. They are always ready to open their pockets and their homes to fellow believers. And they do so, as 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, without grumbling. Because they count it a blessing to be a blessing. Individuals with the gift of mercy are quick to invite others over for dinner. They are prone to remember important dates from birthdays to wedding anniversaries to the anniversary of the loss of a child or a spouse or a mother. Individuals with the gift of mercy are quick to do things like respite care. For those who are foster parents, are those who parent children with special needs. These types of services offer temporary relief. They improve family stability. Is mercy your spiritual gift? You don't need anyone's permission, nor does anyone need to know about it. If you invite believers in the pew beside you over for a meal, if you send someone an uplifting card on the anniversary of a significant loss, if you sign up for respite care, or if you provide furlough for someone who is home from the mission field. And second, hospitality involves making yourself available for those outside the church. 
Paul uses the phrase given to hospitality. It translates more from the Greek words used there as eagerly pursuing love to the stranger. Eagerly pursuing love to the stranger. This is not in my sermon notes. Laura Thacker has a gift of mercy. People who have the spiritual gift of mercy are not easily put off by those who are different from them. In fact, those given to mercy are more interested in spending time with someone who practices a different lifestyle than they are with debating the person. They're just going to open their arms in love. These are the words of Emma Lazarus written as an inscription for the Statue of Liberty in New York City. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Perhaps the words over the dinner table of the person given to the spiritual gift of mercy could read, Give me your transgendered, your prostitute, your unbelieving Islamic refugee, the wayward atheist from an area school, send these, the confused and lost, to me. I lift Christ's light inside my door. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 begins, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Remember that when you and I were still strangers, wandering far from the fold of God, the Lord sought us out. Is mercy your spiritual gift? You don't need anyone's permission, nor does anyone need to know about it for you to host international students from area universities over the holidays because they have nowhere to go for you to go out for coffee with that quirky, peculiar person that nobody else seems to want to hang out with or for you to visit venues where you are actually perceived as being the strange one. All in the name of Jesus who showed us such mercy. Third, a peaceful, prayerful presence. In verse 12, Paul talks about remaining patient in tribulation as well as continuing steadfastly in prayer. In verse 14, he says to bless those who persecute you. In verse 17, he says not to repay evil for evil. In verse 18, he talks about living peaceably with others. And in verse 19, about not avenging ourselves. The person gifted with mercy models Jesus' beatitude message from Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When East Berlin was communist-controlled and West Berlin free, some individuals from the East Berlin side one day dumped a truckload of garbage in West Berlin. The people of West Berlin could have responded in kind, but they didn't. Instead, they took a truckload of canned goods, bread, and milk and stacked those items on the East Berlin side. On top of the stacks, 
they placed the sign, each gives what he has. That's the peace mercy offers. That's the way of Jesus. But many of us still have a natural bent toward revenge. Sadly, I do. Someone says something negatively about us and we want to shoot back a harsh word in return. Someone does something unkind to us and we want to react unkindly in turn. Someone pulls out in front of us and we want to act unkindly in turn. That's not the mercy that Christ promotes. Christ promotes peace. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus who we claim to follow. Bless, do not curse, pray, even for those who are your enemies. The atheist Friedrich Nietzsche did not get many things right, but I believe he was correct when he said, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. For when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Craig Keener tells a story about praying for Christians under siege from Muslims in Nigeria when a Nigerian young man named Sunday was part of his seminary class. There were riots in Sunday's home state of Kaduna and thousands of radical Muslim youth had marched for several days in the state capital demanding Sharia law. And so Christians decided to stage a peaceful countermarch, pleading that this law not be imposed. As events unfolded, some of the Muslims hurled stones at the Christian marchers, and a few of those Christians picked up stones and threw them back. It led to Muslim extremists attacking Christians with automatic weapons and machetes, slaughtering hundreds of men, women, and children. Sunday's cousin was one of those who had been killed, and Sunday did not know yet what had happened to his brothers. They were unaccounted for. Keener said that he prayed passionately in that moment, Rise up, O God, avenge the blood of your servants. Only he says, then Sunday prayed, please forgive those Muslims. Spare them, because Christ, they have no hope. Bring peace, we pray, Lord. Keener confessed Sunday's compassion was right. For the safety of millions of brothers and sisters like Sunday, as well as for those Muslims who need Jesus, we must keep praying for hope, and for peace. If your prayers, like mine, more readily gravitate toward that of Keener's, 
You may, like me, not possess the spiritual gift of mercy. But if your prayers gravitate toward that of Sunday or of that of Ruby Bridges, I would suggest that you probably do have this spiritual gift. You see, Ruby Bridges was the first African-American child to attend an all-white elementary school in the South. Her story has been published in the children's book, The Story of Ruby Bridges. Day after day, Ruby was ushered to and from an all-white school in New Orleans. And day after day, onlookers taunted and threatened her. Robert Coles, who wrote the book about her, was amazed by the calmness of the child. But when he visited her family, Ruby's mother told him that her daughter prayed every night for the mob that threatened and harassed her. Coles, in turn, asked why Ruby would respond the way that she did. Her parents were perplexed. What else, they asked, was a Christian supposed to do. Ruby and her parents held to the tenets of doing good to those who offend you, of praying for those who might seek you harm. So did Sunday. Perhaps so do you. If so, I would suggest you are the arms of the church. Just as the Father holds you through his only begotten son, you hold up others, even those who curse you and persecute you. Is mercy your spiritual gift? You don't need anyone's permission, nor do you need to let anyone know if you forgive someone who has wounded you. If you choose to hold prayer vigils for groups like Hamas, or if you find ways to show act, random acts of kindness to people who are especially different from you. Are you going to win someone to Christ in love, offering the person a glass of water, or beating them over the head with argument after argument? Which is going to be more effective? Jesus seems to suggest that we first offer the cold glass of water and then we have dialogue with the person who is different from us. Boy, that's convicting because I want to prove myself right. I want people to know that my argument is the right one. But some people don't need an argument. They need a hug. They need someone to say, even though you curse me, I choose to love you. There are some of you who are so merciful. Thank you for being the arms of the church. Thank you for modeling for people like me what it looks like to be a person more given to mercy. If you are the arms of the body, don't you know that there are so many people in the world around us who just need to be held? 
There are so many people in the world around us who need to encounter the mercy of Jesus Christ. Perhaps today that's you. Perhaps today you need to experience for the first time what it looks like to be drawn to the mercy of Jesus. If that is you, I'm going to invite you in a moment when we sing Living for Jesus, you take the moment to respond. His mercy is abundant. His grace is free. And he welcomes all, everyone. And through his spirit, let him bring the change. It's not for me to do. It's for him. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to pattern ourselves after you. It seems to me, Christ, when I read your gospels, the people that you are most firm towards are the self-righteous. And the people you open your arms to are the people who know how profound a need they have of a savior. Don't let me be self-righteous. Let my arms be open to those who need to just be held as you have held me. Jesus, send out your people to live for you. I pray in your name. Amen.